This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And apparently we have not talked to each other in the microphones enough today <laughs> after a three-hour pregame show. I was just thinking that. And then a two-hour in-game Yeah, show. we st- we stayed for the first half of Burgundy and Gold today, uh, or Burgundy and Gold game day live with, with Denton Day, which, which is, uh, frankly, it's about as show. much fun as you can have while watching the team that you were invested in get walloped 22 to nothing <laughs> in the first half. Uh, here we are for our postgame show here on Take Command. Uh, so, Logan, uh, I'm just going to leave this as open-ended as I can. What the hell happened in the first half? Like, we were sitting there watching it live. Like, there's definitive stuff that I feel like we could glean as we were watching it. You've actually had a chance to go back through some of the the tape as well from the first half, at least. What the hell happened to them? Well, it's interesting. Like, I went and I watched the TV copy, and I was like, you know, I watched TV copy with you, and then I went back and watched the TV copy again, and then I watched the All-22, and then I had to watch the All-22 again because the things that go through your mind are like, you know, when you get to play about 17 or 20, they start playing a little softer zone. And I'm like, well, maybe they were playing a more soft zone coverage than they were expecting. Because, you know, like we talked about in the pregame. We say they, were, like Detroit was playing Detroit, more soft zone? Detroit. So commander's Detroit. offense we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, commander's offense. And so Detroit, you know, we talked about is a very aggressive team and like got to have it situations. They play a lot of man. Sometimes they sprinkle some of that aggressiveness in on first first and second down. And I thought, well, maybe they, they came out doing something different than the commanders expected. But no, not really. Like they were very aggressive to the football in terms of their blitz philosophy. And I just felt like there was a little bit of a disconnect, you know, with regards to the timing of the concepts that they chose to run and the amount of pressure that they should have been expecting to receive. So there was a lot of times like where the concept is is very deep. You know, it's a deep kind of long developing concept. You do have protection. I think that's something else that stood out to me is like the back specifically had a hard time in protection. Um, you know, McKissick did. Gibson was covering guys up, but again, getting a little bit of pushback, which led to kind of the the first Hutchinson sack on uh, Bates, right? He got kind of pushed into Bates. Mm-hmm. And and then I think it kind of it, it unsettled Wentz a little bit. But when you go through the film, like I'd say he missed one throw in the first 25 plays, right, where he just was like, I got to get the ball out of my hand. And even that would have been like a tough read, right? And I think what, what, what stood out to me is that Detroit just understood kind of like the hot zones of the Washington offense, like where they were trying to attack the field. And I think that's kudos to them, right? They understand when you play a lot of man, you understand the concepts that people like to run to beat you. And then I think the thing that kind of stuck out to me most definitively was I felt like when like in a Kyle Shanahan, and I know like we mentioned him a lot on this show, but in right. that type of offense, you run a lot of things that create natural picks. You get into bunches and things that open up quickly so the quarterback can get the ball out of their hand. I felt like they ran 
all go special or they ran all go probably three times, which again is a longer developing play. And there's not a lot of nuance there for the, nope. everybody receiver. goes, everybody goes. And sometimes you call that to get it to the back, right. Who's in a one-on-one situation with a linebacker, right. right. But it's, it didn't it's really look four like, clearing routes and then the back coming in behind. Right. And again, like that, it just, just based on Carson's like demeanor in the pocket, that's not what it felt like to me. Cause usually like, like Tom Brady, they do that a lot in Tampa Bay, for example. And it's, I'm going to just give eyes so that everyone drops and then I'm coming right to the back and I know where the back's going and we get a nice easy 10 yard gain. That wasn't his mechanics. Right. And then there was another kind of uh, fake screen where they kind of try to hit the ball to Terry on the sideline. And again, that just takes a long time. And if the guy doesn't bite the screen or he doesn't read the screen, it, it doesn't give a lot of flexibility to get open, you know? And I think that's the thing that probably stuck out most definitively. They tried to run like a bounce concept. Um, we didn't talk about this on the pregame show, but uh, Detroit runs a lot of six technique. So head, like if there's a tight end, he lines up inside the tight end, um, right. like towards the ball on first and second down. And it allows like for between good the down tight end to the tackle. Right. And it allows for good down blocks. Right. And so one of the things you do is you down block with the tight end, you down block with, with the tackle, then you pull the center on guard to get to the perimeter. But I just feel like um, Detroit was ready for it, man. Like they were hauling to the ball on those plays. They were, you know, Rodriguez, like short neck, Trey Turner in the hole a couple times. And it just like, it just wasn't there. And you could tell that was a big part of who they thought they were going to be running the football on first and second down. And that just had no legs to it at all. So again, like all of those things kind of compounded. Right. And, um, you know, I think like we talked about on the pregame show and you mentioned this, like one of the things we loved about the first game was that the ball was in and out of Carson Wentz's hand quickly. And I think there was opportunities to do some of that stuff. Right. And I think it was just, it, it felt, it was just a little disappointing and a little bit confusing. Like I'd love to talk to, to Scott and just be like, you know, like what was the thought process with some of this stuff? Because he's a smart guy. We saw that week one, we saw kind of how innovative and, and, and look, we saw it in the second half. Like they, they right. ultimately scored twenty with twenty seven points in this game. Twenty seven, yeah. Which and, I mean, which means they scored twenty seven points in the second half. And I think you know, again, I have to go back and watch the second half. But I think at that point, Detroit had kind of simplified a little bit. They weren't kind of in their the teeth of their blitz package, right? They were kind of playing. I don't want to say prevent because it definitely wasn't a prevent, but they had kind of gone more to their cover three. At least that's my gut instinct after watching the 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 tv copy obviously as you watch the game film things change but i felt like they they took their their foot off the gas just a tick which opened up some of that stuff and again you got to see how good our skill position or the commander skill position players are in one-on-one situations which is what they were hoping for early but i don't think they accounted for i don't think they respected how comprehensive and how nuanced the blitz packages were and how good of blitzers those linebackers were because Philly made it look like a joke, quite frankly, because Jalen Hurts was escaping stuff. And that O-line right. for Philly's very, very good. You know, they're very, very good pass protectors. So, like, they they at times looked like they were in total control of the blitz pickups. And I just think that the Hurts mobility, like, it just made it look like very disconjointed. And I remember, um, you know, Jim Hazlitt used to run at something called Rain here, which is basically like you're in gauge eight if you, for all you Madden lovers out here. And, um, and, but Detroit runs that. And one of the things that stood out to me is how clean their engage eight was, right? So like when the back goes to protect, the linebacker who's got the back is immediately replacing. And they know what gaps they're fitting. They know how to blitz on the back. Hey, I got to attack the outside shoulder of the back to open up the inside rush lane for the linebacker that's going to green dog. 
the end rushing is not rushing really wide, kind of clouding the blitz lane. He's rushing right down the middle of the of the guard, right? So there's a huge lane for that adding linebacker. And again, the discipline that they showed, I think kudos to them, quite frankly, kudos to them. They did an excellent job in terms of, 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 of defensively just saying, like, this is who we are. We're going to execute this at an extremely high level. And they came out and they did it. And they executed at a level that was superior to um, to Washington, at least offensively. Right. And then that compounded their, their defensive issues because sure. that defense was so freaking tired the entire yeah. game. Now, they also had a role in that. They yeah. couldn't stop anybody early. They couldn't stop anybody late. They didn't stop anybody particularly. I mean, I guess there, there was a nice run in the middle there where they, they held for, uh, uh, I guess, a little bit, uh, which allowed Washington to get back into it. Uh, ultimately within one score, but never, never one score with the ball, if I'm remembering correctly. So, I mean, but those two things are complimentary in the same way that they were complimentary last week. Like, yeah, it was complimentary to the positive last week, the way Washington got out, allowed them to play defense a certain way. And it was helpful. And you know, the fact that Jacksonville gashed them a little bit on the ground became a non-factor because Jacksonville was playing catch up for much of the game. Detroit, whenever they needed it, turned around, handed the ball to DeAndre Swift, and he ran very far. Uh, He ran very far without anybody getting a hand on him, and that that was bad. Um, And so I'm on Ross St. Brown. Whenever they seemed to want it to, they could get him the ball. And I think that's what's really disappointing on the defensive side of it. You you just went into a lot of detail of kind of the offensive struggles, and, um, you know, we can circle back to that. But, you know, by the same, in the same way that they seem to know exactly what the commanders wanted to do on offense, Detroit, you know, when their offense was on the field, they got whatever they wanted. Sure. Like they wanted to get the ball to Amon Ross St. Brown. They wanted to run it with uh, DeAndre Swift. And they wanted to then supplement that with Jamal Williams a little bit here. And, you know, Josh Hawkinson, Reynolds a little bit there. Yeah. Hawkinson. That was the one thing they didn't get was Hawkinson and Goff seemed not really on the same page all day. But like they got everything they wanted and it was like the commanders didn't realize that hey key situation where's 14 oh he's wide open running down the field with Derek Forrest chasing him again and that was incredibly frustrating not not to mention um last thing I'll say real quick on this before letting you get you know get into what you saw on the defensive side of the ball the reason I changed my pick and I think the reason ultimately we both picked the commanders was Detroit had injuries along the offensive line and John Allen and Deron Payne and Montez Sweat were the three best players amongst the line groups, offensive and defensive, with Ragnow out and with um, their left guard, who's a pro bowler, whose name is uh, escaping Vi- me at the moment. Vitae? Uh, well, Vitae, too, Vitae is their starting right out. guard, and he's yeah. he's out too. They were on their third string right guard. Yeah. But their left guard, uh, Jonah, Jonah Jackson. Yeah, um, Jonah Jackson. You know, he's, he's out in this game. And so I'm like, Allen and Payne, let's party. Like, should have a great game. They didn't. They got gashed. Right. Like, unbelievably gashed in the run game. Swift almost had 100 yards in the first half. And mm-hmm. I think that's just incredibly, like, beyond disappointing and does bring up a lot of questions about the coaching staff on this team um, where the talent doesn't seem, to, doesn't seem to be performing up to the level. And in key situations, you got, like, David Mayo running out there in coverage. And you're like, well, that's, that's a choice, perhaps, that shouldn't have been made. Right. I mean, you bring up a lot of really valid points. So I think let's just kind of start and kind of systematically break it down. I think the first thing is the Amon Ra's first catch was a coverage bust, right? They're playing some, it's like a stack and they're playing some type of in and out, but obviously someone doesn't know that it's in and out. And he's 
wide open to the middle of the field. And that's the one where, you know, um, the safety is like all alone by himself, kind of try to chase him down. And like, that's something they haven't really shown in training camp. That's something they were pretty good about in preseason. All of a sudden it shows up in a big game, you know, relatively big game, kind of a big moment, third down. And for that to happen is tough. And then I think on D uh, in terms of the run game stuff, the thing that stood out to me is I just felt like they were, this is going to sound crazy, but I just felt like they were really understaffed. You know, I feel like the, the thing that I came out of this game was like Detroit knew and knows who they want to be. And that's a good thing. It's also a bad thing. Like, you know, when they're going to play better football teams, they're not going to be able to do what they were able to do to Washington, but they know, they know their identity. They know their identity defensively. They know their identity offensively and they know the plays they want to be good at. And they're really good at them. Like on film, I, I think this, this just to me kind of showed like a mindset so on there for when they run counter, when they ran power, they bring in their extra offensive lineman. He's the kickout guy and he's there to right. just kind of maul that edge player. And it's not like he hits him every single time, but he's coming with bad intention. That double team knows they can sink and drive and they're moving John. They're moving F.A. Obata, who's like, again, we talked about this, like coaches putting guys in positions to be successful. He's should not be in there to to sit on a double team from a guard and a tackle, especially if what if the tackles Panay Sewell? Like, no, he's that's just, he's an outside edge player, right? And he's a big he's a big man, but like again, like that's tough sledding to be in there with that group and a guy and they know and again like for them to run duo, which essentially is power with no puller, so it's just double teams across the board, right? And for them and for them to move the line of scrimmage emphatically three yards every time they run it, it just it just to me showed a mindset. It showed a mindset, and you know I love we talked about it on the on the in-game show that we did. Like, we loved how Mayo was playing, how aggressive he was to line of scrimmage. But, again, like, their mindset was greater than our mindset, right? And, like, all that stuff that showed up in hard knocks of them, you know, like, we're going to go to full speed. We're going to go full tilt for the first week of training camp, tackle to the ground. Like, I feel like that shows up in these kind of situations, in these kind of games. Because as blitzers, they were super physical. As blockers, they were super physical. The receivers were doing what they were supposed to do. You just It just smelled and... It smelled and tasted of a really well-coached football team. And I think that's the thing that kind of stuck out to me is, you know, for example, on Swift's really long run, you know, you're, I, I was watching that on the All-22 just to kind of pick and choose plays. And they're playing essentially a seven-man run surface to an eight-man blocking surface. That's not even accounting the running back, right? And, like, you and I both know, like, that's just – that's not – logistically sound football for stopping the run you always want to be plus one so in this one you're actually minus one probably minus two if you're not accounting for the runner and which is put, an important guy to count for because he's going to get the ball right and i think the other thing is like you put percy jackson in a weird spot at least to my eye where he kind of has to fill two gaps or he's supposed to fill the a gap but he's lined uh, up percy, over the percy butler or william jackson yeah percy butler percy butler sorry he's lined up yeah. over the tight end and man to man coverage but the A gap to his side is open and it's to like a, an extended like wing set tight end. So he technically looks like he should have the C gap, but there's no A gap player. So you want him to play the A gap from there or do you want Forrest to play it from depth? Like, cause if he's got to play it from depth, he's got to get up there in a hurry cause that's where the run hits. Right. So again, Percy gets reached out of the A gap and he's taking on a guard, you know, like he's not ideal on that guy. for your, your sinewy safety. Yeah. He's, he's taking on Dan Skipper who I played with in Houston. That dude's six ten and 340 pounds. Like he is going to eat that guy for breakfast, you know, and just you mentioned like coaches putting your players in good situations to be successful. And, you know, I know that I think the thing that really showed up to me was the D line depth. Like this is a perfect game for Big Phil. This is this is this is a game that has Big Phil's name written all over it. 
a guy who's going to do the dirty work, split double teams, be nasty, be competitive, and be physical down in and down out. And not having that in there and not having a guy who can play play to the side of the double if you need him to, right? Get some reps off of John. Because, you know, for, for as good of a player John is, he does not excel in run situations and getting double team. He's good in one-on-one situations, but he's not – He's not outstanding uh, at taking on double teams. So I think um, all that stuff kind of stood out to me with regards to um, how sharp they were. Again, the chemistry between Amon Ross St. Brown and golf was on full display. You know, and it's not like he's running these tremendous routes and beating man-to-man coverage. He knows coverages and he knows where to sit down. He knows where to sit in the soft spot of zone. So uh, to me, I just think that they came out with a, with a better attitude and a better energy, a better physicality, a better mindset, a better identity. And that showed up offensively and defensively. Like that's, I, I, you know, like we knew, like you and I both knew, right, that who they wanted to be. Yeah, I guarantee you, Jack and Scott knew that too. Ron knew it too. Like in the meetings I had with him, and and I think that's the kind of that's the confounding thing, in my opinion, is if you knew that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Um, if you knew what the best punch is, like, why aren't we prepping for the best punch the best way we can? And maybe they felt this was, so I don't want to say that they didn't prep because they, right. you know, to lose all those defensive linemen, that's a huge deal. Yeah. That's and a- well, the, here's the thing is like in the same way that when they criticize Jamin Davis, it's not about, um, it's not about effort. It's about ability. Like mm-hmm. that is also how I feel about, like, I don't think Jack Del Rio doesn't put in a lot of work or Ron Rivera right. doesn't put in a lot of work or Scott Turner doesn't put in a lot of work. I don't think that they're as smart or as good at their jobs as other coaches in the league. Like that's just mm-hmm. that's just how I feel, um, and I think that we have results to back that up. Um, that doesn't mean that they're bad people inherently. It doesn't mean that they're good people. It doesn't mean that anything other than like I would rather have Kyle Shanahan than Scott Turner. I would rather have you know uh, you know Kevin O'Connell, Sean McVay, uh, a lot of these these coordinators around the league. Um, although I think Scott, frankly, is, is higher on that echelon than, than where Jack is at this point. And, mm-hmm. you know, that is... Yeah, because Scott defend- in the second half did some really good things. Sorry, yeah, good and, shots, but- yeah, I, I no, I, I think Scott... Like, I believe a lot more in Scott and saying, like, he's not Kyle Shanahan is uh, something you say about literally everyone else in the NFL. It's like um, saying although, a basketball player is not Michael Jordan. Like, right, it's a like, very, right. Like, like, Mike McDaniel down in, down in Miami, so far so good through two games. But, you know, what he's dealing with in terms of talent is incredible. Andy Reid, like, there's an echelon. And Scott's, Scott's like, in the next tier. Um, with Del Rio, though, like, I think there's real concern there. I, and, and I think, like, there's, on defense, like, I'm kind of down to it's one of two things. And this is, this is very big picture. 
which I you know it, I guess sometimes is is almost better to do in a post game podcast because we haven't had a chance to like sit down and be analytical and we're still sure. you know, fresh in our feelings of the game. But like they either have a really bad scouting problem on defense or a really bad coaching problem because I don't think that they're that talented on defense and I don't think that they're that well coached. So either you got they're like they're capable as coaches and they keep putting inferior players in positions or they drafted good players and they don't coach them up very well because the lack of consistency on that side of the ball, given by the way, the talent that they inherited is mm. uh, in, in two words, not good. Yeah. So to me, like those are the paths. Those are the avenues. Pick, pick which one it is. Maybe it's some of both, but like that's kind of where I'm at on defense. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's kind of like the you know you said you want to be in your feelings like I hate being in my being in my feelings I want to be I want to be <laughs> want with to be the analytical. data yeah I want to be analytical um but are, I, are there I, statistics good from today no no, no but not. I but I I guess uh, I guess I think you have a you know like I put a lot of heat on Scott you know as a coordinator because like to me that's that's the guy who that's he's the Picasso you know. He's, he's cultivating his vision of what the offense should be. And, you know, it, it either turns into, you know, the Mona Lisa or it turns into something my kid draws on a napkin. Right. And that's, that's <laughs> like, that's, that's comes down to the coordinator, quite frankly. And so, um, you know, I haven't had enough conversations with Jack to say like, this is Jack's vision. I understand high level, like what he wants to be and what he wants to do. Um, but like you said this on the, on the, on the pregame show or, or the in-game show, I forget, but like, the defense seems very hard to execute at a high level. And I've talked to guys and it sounds hard, you know, like yeah. the things they ask guys to do. And, um, you know, it's not overly complicated to prep for. And I, I think that um, that observation by you is something that I think is is very astute. Let's just say that it's very astute. Why, and thank I, you, yeah, Professor and so again, again, we'll uh, we'll watch some more and we'll have a little breakdown of the defense more. But like my gut reaction is like they just they just the guys weren't in good positions to be successful. Guys didn't win one on one one matchups. And, you know, Detroit with their third and fourth string offensive guards and centers, um, kind of took them behind the woodshed a little bit, you know, and I think um that's disappointing, especially given the talent. And, you know, I think John's hurt, all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, that, I think that's the thing that kind of sticks out to you is like, did they really put those guys in the best position to be successful? And if they did, then we need to work on finding some people maybe who are more apt at doing what they need them to do. Yeah. You need to either need to find better players to put in those positions or you need to find better positions to put the players in. Sure. Um, and of course the, the players have, uh, you know, they, they could play better, do better, but like, you know, the guy, you know, David Mayo gets caught in coverage on a third and two to that kind of winds up being the, the final nail in the coffin. And David Mayo in coverage is something we know is, is, is like, that's a known commodity. It's not somewhere you want him. Um, in the same yeah, way I don't even that you know don't if want... that was his fault though. I mean, he's there. I don't know. Again, like that's one of those things. Like that's why coverage, like from an analyst standpoint, is so sure. hard because we've talked about this before in the show. Like, who's he matching in three by one? Who's he matching in two by two? It's like, does it change if there's a back? And like, again, he's uh, yeah. in the area, I, but it's I, like, I, is I hear it his you. Fault? Yeah, but it's like you know, in key situations where he gets caught in coverage, the ball seems to go over his head a lot. And whether he's making up for someone else's mistake or he's you know, it is his mistake. I don't know, but the ball, they certainly offenses seem to figure out how to find where he's at and, and, and attack it, his area of the field. Sure. Um, and, awesome. but like, again, like that's not his specialty. He's in there to stop the run. So like on a third down late in the game, yeah, they've run the ball a ton, but like, come on, 
Like get, yeah. you need you you need to be able to trust your. By the way, you should be able to trust your starting linebackers in that, not having to go to a rotational backup who's a situational football player. Like yeah. it's be, it, it's kind of where I am, where I am on on the defense in this moment right now as we record this on Sunday night. Like, you either got a scouting problem or a coaching problem, um, and yeah. I don't know which one it is, um, but I I certainly have ideas, and and they are cert- they they work together. Um, you know, they, they're the, the coaching staff has influence on who gets scouted and the relationship between what kind, what you want to do and what kind of players you are looking for is also one considering that Rivera has hired everybody. And there's a lot of people that he has worked with before should be more cohesive than it is. Yeah. At least in terms I mean, of the I... results, the results we are getting should be reflective of what I would imagine should be a more cohesive process. I'm not privy to the process there. I've now said yeah, it more journalistically right. fairly. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the thing that's tough about being on this side of the veil is there's some things that you have questions about. There's some things that you're like, well, why are they doing it that way? And then there's opportunities sometimes for me where I get to go talk to the coach and I'm like, Oh, that does make a lot of sense that, and they just didn't execute it the way they needed to. Right. So again, like we're kind of in this weird spot where it's like, dang, that wasn't very good. Um, there was a lot of things we didn't enjoy about that. But then when you go talk to the coach and it's like, you know, like I, we talked about in the studio, today, like I coach high school football and like we talk through the looks, we walk through them, we, we rep them, we make sure they know what to do. And sometimes they still screw them up in the game. And that is frustrating. You know what I mean? It's frustrating yeah, for them. Totally. It's frustrating for everybody involved. But again, um, that kind of goes back to your point. Like maybe you're not teaching it effectively. I don't know. Again, we're, we're this is all speculation. Well, teaching, it, part. teaching it effectively or again, like, you know, you're a high school coach. The players come to you based off where they live. They went out and pay, they, they're paying a lot of money to go out and find these players. And so, like, are you finding the right guys? And if yeah. not, if you are, then you got to coach them better. And right. if you're not, then you need to find new people to find the people. Um, and that's kind of like we're three years into this. And, uh, you know, you started with a talent that was inherited, basically, and you, you coached it up to a top five defense. And yeah. the last two years, uh, yikes. I will say this. I will give the Lions this credit because they deserve it. This is the third game in a row they've been over 30 points. It's the first time they've done this, that since their championship seasons. Pre-Super Bowl era because they've never won a Super Bowl. 1952-1953. So congrats to Dan Campbell. Like, uh, not yeah. sarcastically. Like, congrats yeah. to Dan Campbell um, and, and his – and uh, oh, Ben uh, – what's his name? Ben Johnson, I believe, is his OC. Um, oh. Deuce Staley, all, all the guys on, on that offensive staff that have done that. They, they closed out last year putting up over 30, uh, and then they've opened the year with two 30-plus point games. So, like, this also might look different in a couple weeks. I will also sure. get out of my feelings and, and say this. It's week two. They're one and one. They beat Philly next week. They're in an amazing spot. Um, sure. You know, and if Detroit all of a sudden turns out to be a juggernaut offensively, you're going to look back and be like, wow, okay, right. um, maybe that wasn't so abnormal because Detroit's averaging 30 a game. Is that what I'm predicting at this point? No, no. but like they have done it so far against a Washington defense that we thought was going to be better, a Philly defense that we think is pretty good. Um, but at the end of the day, came time down, came down uh, time to get stops and, and they couldn't and, and ultimately they're one and one. Yeah, and I also think it's important. Like, we talked a lot about the offense and defense. I, I do think that for Detroit, I think they came out with a special teams focus that yes. was very high level. And I think that was a huge impact on the game. Obviously, um, you know, we had like a little bit of a flub where we didn't get, you know, it was a touchback, probably should have been down inside the two. Yeah. Um, big return for a touchdown. And then I think the other thing that stood out to me is the energy and the passion that the guys on the coverage team for Detroit played with. Like, they were lighting Dax Milton up. They were fired up they were feeling the energy of the stadium and 
Uh, to me, that's a really big indicator of like momentum in a game and for a team. And if those guys are feeling it, the rest of the roster is feeling it. So I just think it speaks to, again, like a, a, a cultural mindset, cultural shift. Yeah. I don't want to overhype this Dan Campbell thing because it is week two and there's a lot of football still left to be played. But sure. it, it kind of it smelled of that a little bit. And yeah. that's 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 kind of cool to see. And the desperation, they were 0-1. They're at home, um, incredible yep. crowd in Detroit. Uh, that was clearly bothering Carson and, and the communication early in that game. You know, We saw him pressing the helmet um, every time he was trying to get a call. So all that stuff adds up. Um, all right, last thing real quick. We're a little longer than we typically go for a post-game sure. pod. But anything to some of the, the two-point uh, decisions and anything with Ron... Like ultimately, like it, it's a thing to talk about. To me, it's almost more of a Tuesday topic. Maybe we can dive sure. into it yeah, more. Let's do it on Tuesday. Yeah. So we'll, like we'll, my, we'll record it on Tuesday. Ear. Maybe we'll bring Sheehan in as our as our special clock analyst because there's nobody better at that stuff than Kevin. I get it from an analytics point of view, but it's also one of those things. I, I remember Sean telling me this um, when he was here, and he just goes, "The analytics might say to go for it on fourth and one, but and it I, ironically, this was the player he used as his example, considering where he coaches now. But he's like." If I know I'm on my backup left guard and I'm facing Aaron Donald, the analytics don't matter because the analytics change dramatically <laughs> because Aaron Donald's going to kick my guy's ass. And so like there was a little bit of that going on too where they had already run a two-point play. You knew they didn't have their best one because they already ran it. And so you know we can get into that uh, later in the week. But if there's anything yeah, quickly cool. that you kind of yeah. wanted to get no, into No, no, no. I just was thinking about it like um, two, the two-point math, the two-point, that, that stuff is always kind of – I don't say above me, but I, it's always a little bit confusing as to when coaches feel the need to do it and why, and this is this. And, um, and so we'll, we'll pull thought, Sheehan in on it. On yeah. A, yeah. I, th I thought, I remember guys, now they're show. all blurring together, but the first one I liked, I think the second one I was kind of like, I liked them both, but I like aggressive play calling generally. Like when they go for yeah. a fourth down, I'm like, I'm all in. So I'm yeah, a little go. bit, um, bias on that i think also yeah definitely definitely all right so uh we'll we'll pull Sheehan in as, as our timekeeping expert uh for wednesday's show we'll have obviously a lot more uh cool-headed analytical thought uh hope you sure. enjoyed the hot-headedness that was this podcast at least on this end of it uh and the cool rationale of one logan paulson uh if you want more from him as he starts to get into film breakdowns and everything during the week make sure you're following him on instagram at logan underscore paulson 82 you can follow me on twitter at hoffman show uh We'll have the show, of course, Wednesday, preview for the Eagles on Friday. I already know on the radio this week, I'll have Robert Mays from The Athletic on on Tuesday, who is really excited about this game. So I'm excited to talk to him on Tuesday's show. And, of, uh, of course, we'll see uh, see who else winds up stopping by to talk about it as the week goes on between 3 and 6 on the Team 980. So we'll see you then. Uh, all those places just mentioned. And uh, as for now, oh, I do want to mention this. Actual last thing. So we have these podcasts for basically every NFL team. And the top two podcasts from listener standpoint are Dallas and Philly. And that's crap and we're not going to stand that, for it. So if you like this podcast, true? tell your commander's friends and let's get our numbers up because we yeah. can't let them win on the field and the podcast. <laughs> that's it. That's the show. We'll see you on Wednesday.